0: Mikey, Mikey, Mike. Yeah. How have you been, my friend? It's pretty glorious here, I'm not going to lie to you.
1: (laughs) This is the time of year where we just dominate. Like, California is wonderful.
0: I didn't mean weather. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. No, okay, I won't say that. (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) We've got a lot to talk about today. Um, Mm. We're going to talk about the urban and rural divide in your country today. Yeah. uh, Which has been changing quite a bit in the last two hundred something years. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll sure. get to that in a second. Yeah. Um, you're listening to the Americanist podcast. My name is Johannes Ehrmann here in Berlin and I'm joined as every time by my dear friend and accomplished scholar who has just secured billions and billions of dollars, <laughs> I'm told,
1: jinx me. Don't do that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> from uh, unspecified donors. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> She's going to get me fired. No. <laughs> I'm just She's making this up, proposing. man. I'm just making this yeah, up. Yeah, I know. That's Thank fine. you.
0: That's 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 how I'm imagining life to be like at Stanford University for a man of your... <laughs> Stature. 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 Yes. Yeah? yes. Yeah. So I, I hope that uh, some of that funding will also go into our podcast endeavors. Um, <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, let's get to the topic. Uh, enough with the uh, BS here. We're talking about one graph actually that uh, if you google urbanization in the United States comes up as the first thing and it has two colors Uh, the green color is uh, for rural the percentage of rural areas in uh, the US or rural population I should say and the blue uh, is the urban population and the graph goes from the first census in 1790 to 2010 actually in this uh, so the second last uh, census and the interesting thing is the curve that the the blue part is taking, uh, at the expense of the green part, of course, because it's a binary thing. Um, starting off five percent urban population in 1790, so just around the nation's founding, um, and it has come up to now more than eighty percent at at this moment. Um, I got I pulled up the numbers as well. Uh, The first census saw 3.73 million rural population versus just 200,000 urban. And 2010, um, which is the last number here, saw 59 million rural versus Mm. 250 million urban. Mm. Yet, you guys vote for your president in early November, after the harvest has been brought in and before the winter (laughs) hits, and in order for your horse carriages to best travel from the countryside to the next town, of course, you also vote on a Tuesday, so that all of Monday can be used for that same horseback travel. After all of Sunday is, of course, reserved for worship in your local village church. Right. Yep. <laughs> and you can be back in time for the weekly farmer's market. So that's, that's quite neat. Um, and then, of course, very importantly, and we, we definitely need to talk about uh, that uh, as well, you allot two senators to each of the 50 states. So yeah, that that's important. Wyoming can have the same representation as your lovely California. The only problem maybe is that there's around about 68 Wyoming populations fitting in one California population. (laughs) You know, you and I
1: didn't plan this part right here, but like I maybe about a month ago did some calculations and exactly on the kind of stuff you're talking about. If you look at Wyoming, you, they're voters. And then you look at the Bay Area. So not California, mm. but just like sort of San Francisco, San Jose, the, the area around here. If you took 5% of the voters in the Bay Area, not all California, and you move them, if you just randomly pick and you move them to Wyoming, Wyoming would now be a Democrat stronghold. <laughs> there, there are so many people in California, not even California, the Bay Area, that we would overwhelm uh, Wyoming and its voting.
0: So it's, How many Tesla factories is that?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a, that, there's a real, you are, you are exactly right. Like we, one of the major um, exports of California is Californians. We have been moving companies to Austin. We've been moving companies to Nevada. Like, you know, there are, uh, there's a narrative there about, California sort of losing jobs or losing companies, but there's also another really important narrative which is the philosophies and the economic output of California is moving into other places and we're changing a lot of the ideologies mm-hmm. and thinking of some of these communities. But you're right, like three or four major corporations move to Wyoming and Wyoming is a very different state.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's probably not gonna happen, right?
1: Wyoming would be a
0: tough yeah. Well it could be it could be a new utopia, you know. Musk could set up his own City or world? I don't see or, he might do that. He would. Do, oh god! I'm gonna I'm gonna bad. DM him just after that. <laughs> he's on Twitter all the time. I mean, he has, a, he has a he has he has a big factory uh, that's being built just outside of Berlin.
1: So oh, is that true? Maybe no, like,
0: I maybe I see him on the airport the other day. <laughs> you might. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't think he's flying uh, the the uh, airlines that I'm flying. But <laughs> um, I guess instead of the green for the rural, we could have just put red. For Republican, uh, and the blue <laughs> yeah, re- the blue remains the same. Um, I mean that's right. sort of the the rough the rough divide, uh, right? I mean it's not not always true, but in a lot of places it's true that uh, Republican voters yeah. tend. To, I mean the, the red states. That's sort of like the lesser populated states.
1: You are right um, that a lot of the states that are less urban less um dense tend to vote republican but it's actually probably even better to think about within states nowadays Mm uh there are still like very like if you look at the cities if you look at places where like there's a lot of density um those almost all are blue those -hmm. are almost all democrats um and then even within states like california a huge swath of california is very red very republican um and that those are the areas where it's, you know, farming communities, you know, rural communities, that kind of stuff. So you're right that states when you sort of average up or you gross it up to an entire state, that pattern kind of holds true. The more rural states are, are the red ones. But even within those states, you know, if you look at like Louisville, um, mm-hmm. you know, like that is a very red state. And then, you know, a, a blue area, if you look at Austin inside of Texas. Very blue, very Democrat, maybe even more liberal than some of the areas right right around where I am. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, it really is the uh, urban, rural,
0: even inside of states, that's Mm -hmm. holding the sort of political uh, difference. Or Pennsylvania as well, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, Which was, of course, and we had this uh, famous episode about our dear Philly deciding the election uh, in November. When was it? November 2020, right? not 2021. Um, but actually, um, rural Pennsylvania is pretty red, yeah. Uh, so, so it holds true there as well. Um, yeah. So you grew up in Maine. Um, yeah. And you grew up in a rural setting, right? That's right, pretty rural. Yeah. Okay. And so, how was that like for you?
1: You know, wonderful way to grow up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and uh, tight knit community. Uh, we were small enough that we had to my my high school drew from five neighboring towns in order to get like mm-hmm. you know 100 people uh in our in our class so it was a, it was a pretty you know small community and i guess i don't know the exact numbers but you know a large percentage of the folks from that i hung out with are now in living in urban
0: areas uh, mm-hmm. almost all of my friends mm-hmm. are um and so that's yeah, interesting so there's this so shift actually that has been going on in the last 20 years in your immediate that's surroundings right. right that's right yeah so, yeah and it has to do with jobs it has to do with
1: like prospects and, and that kind of stuff
0: yeah so and that's what's what has been drawing people to the big urban centers right for the last 150 years I guess or even more
1: yeah that, that's right there's there's really a um, so you have to track a couple things and I, I don't know the exact timing I think it's sort of like the you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, there was a real policy to try to level the playing field. Like that, that there was a, there was an obvious migration into cities Mm. and people were sort of worried about losing strong rural connections. Um, And so they started like, you know, the central government, you know, Washington, D.C. started putting money to developing like, Mm. uh, Airports and infrastructure and roads in mm-hmm. order to make sure that the rural communities could really thrive. So there was a mm-hmm. real large investment. And that was also a long, you know, an important part of making sure that other policies that we have, which I think are really American. And you have, and if you want to understand America, you have to understand that we really think a lot about property ownership. Like, so a lot of the narrative of being an American is getting a house and owning property. The land claims, right? The land claims, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have this sort of expansion um, Mm. mindset and growth mindset, Um, not in the sort of psychology sense, but like trying to continually build larger. And so um, that means that the rural becomes suburban and the rural sort of retreats, but it also means that we Mm. put a lot of national resources and attention into developing things to get us into the
0: rural area and back into the urban. It's very interesting that you would mention that um, because I've actually, um, and you know that I'm researching uh, this book, I've talked a lot about it here, um, that is set in the revolution times uh, when still Uh, You know, 95% uh, of the population was rural. Um, And just the other day um, on Netflix, I actually discovered uh, a great uh, two-part movie. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. It's called Saints and Strangers. Oh, no, I haven't. No. Yeah, it's, so it's really worthwhile. And I mean, so much on Netflix is trash, at least in Germany. Um, so, And this thing, I mean, almost as worthwhile as watching Cristiano Ronaldo's wife being bored to death on a luxury yacht in Monaco. Because um, it's actually about, you know, real history, real people that had a purpose and uh, believed in something. It's about the um, experience of the Plymouth pilgrims uh, when they encountered ah. the Indians. Uh, or the Native Americans, I should say, and and you mentioned the expansion, right? So this yeah. was for the English Empire, the British Empire back then. I mean, the Pilgrims might uh, they wanted uh, a new world for themselves; they wanted uh, basically their religious utopia. Um, right. But the English Empire wanted to expand, and that's why there were English colonies, and then there were also French colonies, of course, until the Seven Years' War in North America. It just reminded me of that that this. This idea of expansion and basically and the land, that's why I said the land claim, uh, yeah. you know, those were the very first sort of uh, and very, very poor little settlements that, that Europeans tried to establish. And of course, we, we sort of know the end of the, the story. So for me, it's also, I guess, what you guys want to be or what you guys, um, where you guys come from as a nation um, that you still have not left behind in a way, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah.
1: oh, no, we I
0: cannot agree with
1: you more. I think it's a really perceptive look at us, which is that at sort of our creation myth as a country is built on expansion. We did it twice, like two or maybe even three times. So in the very early days when we sort of were, you know, the different forms of Americans were, uh, I guess, European Americans were thinking about uh, what it meant to move to America, there was that. And then we had the westward expansion during mm. sort of like cowboys kind of time, you know, like setting mm. the West and like, you know, what did that mean? And then we had another real one during like the 30s, 40s, 50s, during the sort of New Deal kind of time when it was an expansion in um, and, uh ownership models but also like sort of educational kind of stuff and so Mm. yeah man i mean like uh it 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 is a little scary when when i stop and think about what it means to be americans because it is sort of consuming and growth and it's almost like this is like the least (laughs) flattering way to describe but like a Mm. cancer sometimes it feels like it doesn't we don't reach like a homeostasis or we don't reach a sort of oh i'm content and i'm comfortable Mm. And things are like, you know, we've reached a sort of good place. It's always this like striving to make more and mm-hmm. um, do more and, and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And you're right. It's really embedded in our narratives over and over again. We sort of cycle back to it a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to quiz you on, on one thing that I found very, very interesting. Uh, yeah. The first American city, so the prototype, like the prototypical American city. Do you have any idea uh, which one that is? Oh, jeez, man. I You know, it's got to be Philly, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, me, yeah, sure, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's actually, so it was founded by by William Penn uh, in the fall mm. of 1682. And he actually, he brought the whole city plan with him. Mm. So there was nothing. There was just woods and, and a little fort. Uh, hmm. You know, Pennsylvania, Penn's Woods, you know, the, yep. the Latin oh, name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, okay. And very interestingly, actually, he just wanted to call it Sylvania. He just wanted to call it Woods because, you know, he was a Quaker. He, was not, he didn't want to feel entitled to this so much and he wanted to deal with the Native Americans. And then the king actually overruled him and was like, no, no, this is a land. It has to, be, it has to have a European owner. So it's, wow. it's Pence, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Woods. And the funny thing about uh, Philadelphia is that it was planned to be everything a European, European city was not. So it was planned with like white straight streets in a perfect yes. rectangular grid, instead of, you know, this narrow medieval mess of, yes. you know, alleyways, dark corners and <laughs> pestilence, whatever, you know, all the. Um, with the big public parks, you know, um, mm-hmm. where important streets would meet, you know, like Rittenhouse Square. This, is, yeah. this was all there in the, in the very beginning. Oh, yeah. It was all no, laid out you... like that. Mm. Pointing this out,
1: it makes a lot of sense because there's a lot of symmetry, right? Like the city itself, um, you know, there are sort of yes. these point, you know, these major lines and then parks that like mirror each other.
0: And so that has to have a human intentionality to Penn it. Penn yeah. was extremely egalitarian in that he mm. wanted everyone in the city to live on same sized lots of real estate. Uh, yeah. So originally all the little lots of land that he would sell to people had more or less the same size. Uh, so yeah. that everyone could have a little garden to cultivate some plants or to recreate with the family. Um, and this was all like absolutely new. Mm. Um, and then also the way of naming the streets. <clears throat> you know, the, east, uh, the east-west streets, uh, you know, they're all named after local trees, right? right. Walnut, chestnut, back then there was mulberry, pine, cedar, some of them have been renamed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course the very typical American thing now that for every European is so weird uh, the north, south, south uh, just by number.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, for easy orientation, I guess. I, I yeah, it's don't the Cartesian plane, can... man.
1: We love it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What is it? The Cartesian uh, plane. It's the uh, the graphing, mathematics.
1: Yeah. We, okay. we just stole it from Descartes. Uh, num- ah, the number lines. Ah, I didn't even yeah. know that. Okay. Oh, I'm, well, I'm mostly joking. But like, that is the coordinate system that we teach, <laughs> teach our kids.
0: Yeah. It was thought of uh, by Penn as a green country town. That was mm. his quote. So right. actually, it was a city that was never supposed to be a city. <laughs> That's absolutely fascinating. I had, I mean, uh, it makes sense given how
1: laid out it is, but I didn't realize that at its inception it had that sort of hybrid uh, of density, but also sort of egalit- egalitarian yeah. and green yeah. to it. That's really cool.
0: Yeah, he had the whole. So the whole part that is today Center City mm-hmm. was basically the original plan between yeah. the Delaware and the Schuylkill. Yeah. And he had it all laid out. And in the beginning, I mean, there were not nearly enough people for that, but he knew there would be more people coming. Um, and then by the time the American Revolution came around with 40,000 people, Philadelphia was actually the biggest city hmm. uh, in, in North America. With New York City, 25,000 and Boston, 15,000 following. Hmm. Uh, and by the way, London at that time already had three quarters of a million. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there were huge cities in the world, yeah. um, but just not in, in America. Today, of course, very different, right? So what's your favorite American city, actually? Because there's so many of them. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of them.
1: Um, I mean, San Francisco is just unbelievably beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I, I know it's, it's like I so, can attest sunny. to that. Oh yeah. gosh, it's you know, um, uh, let's see. Like, so I love Austin. Um, mm. I really love Boston. Boston was like sort of my first major city. Like when I was living in Maine, um, you have Portland, Maine, which is wonderful, but Boston was really the city um mm. and this goes back to like sort of the american understanding um the when i grew up i spent all my time in these rural areas with people i knew and thinking about going to even portland maine when i was younger was kind of scary like the the city is such <laughs> a foreign or different uh place yeah. it was like you know there's so many people and there's so many there's so much action and there's so much energies that i don't understand maybe that's just me maybe i'm just like a little like weirdo but like the cities were serious things and and we were not of that and and i think that persists and you can see that in sort of the politics that you know the the some of the rural areas don't think of themselves as the same thing um, as Hmm. the cities the cities are a different thing like a different culture or different almost like a different country almost like a different country yeah Hmm. and it's it's sort of interesting because like not in all ways right like the sports teams and that kind of stuff we all sort of but you know there's been this nationalization of identities and so the if you're rural in maine you may end up using rural uh sort of culture from the south so you will see things like the confederate flag which has sort of become oh, really? In yeah, Maine? yeah. You absolutely will. I mean, you even see in Canada right now, and it's what? and it's sort of used to represent not the South per se, like in and of itself, but like. The Confederate fight, the way of life, yeah, the way of life, and the sort of independent, and I'm not going to uh, agree to centralization of control, and you can't. So it's wild, right? I mean, these were the Confederates were these losers who lost rapidly to the North. Well, like they for were like slaveholders. They too. were slaveholders. These are horrible people, right? Like over and over again, but but like now it's taken by. Uh, hmm. a certain kind of identity which is and it's not and i'm not i want to be very careful that is not the way all rural people are at all but you are yeah. seeing a nationalization in the united states of rural identity and so you'll see these transporting of, of things of, of sort of cultural icon or icon mm. or like these like mm. icons into different places in the country that don't totally make sense to do that but mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's why you sort of have Big urban cities thinking of themselves as more related to one another even though they have very different substrate like you know, different like economic
0: inputs and stuff so so that sounds pretty crazy but I guess this this symbol um, that used to stand for something has now morphed into something else the Confederate flag yeah. so, it's, so some people use it to express some kind of, I don't know, maverick character that they have or something non-conformist, non-urban.
1: Control, like separate, I I, I can be independent or separated. Um, So, is that the only interpretation? No, it's got a lot of real crappy stuff tied to it. Like, and there's a horrible racist tradition built around it. And like, it's not, if I see Mm. it, like, I think I, uh, a lot of us uh, recognize those parts. But why does it show up in northern Maine or why does it show up in Canada? I mean, like right now, there's, I'm not sure if this made like international news, but like in Canada, there's this like trucker, you know, brigade that's like sort of blocked up part of the federal government in Canada. So like truckers have moved in the city and they've sort of blocked things off and they're flying Confederate flags. Um, mm. Makes no sense at all um, if you sort of trace the history of it, except for once you realize that it has a set of meanings about like sort of rural identities in North America.
0: Mm. So, obviously, there is a problem here, right? I mean, uh, and we've seen it in the last elections and apparently um, for the first time in the 2000 election, it really became apparent um, that, you know, the country... And the cities were very, very distinct uh, in terms of like divide red and blue. And this has... And I mean, Trump has taken that to absolute extremes, right? Uh, And I remember us talking about... um, Because there's also a third category. It's rural, urban and suburban. Yeah, that's right. And I remember you talking about how suburban voters first basically put Trump in office and then voted him out of office as well. Yep. Four years later. so suburbia also has this very american space yes right right. sort of the illusion of country living with like (laughs) gardens space and quiet but they're part of this they're part of the metropolitan areas absolutely it's not the countryside it's not Wyoming.
1: yeah no that's absolutely right and it's sort of um it's really complicated because it's sort of the suburban acts in different ways in different parts of the country um so here in the bay area the suburban areas are sort of uh, intimately bound up and connected to the city. So there will be a lot of commuting into the city. Um, So a lot of uh, the energies, the work a day, business class moves into the city during the day and then pulses back out at night. So it's really oriented towards that. Other places is not like you will get, you know, uh, suburban areas that function as things that will eventually grow into cities. You know, they sort of have their own identities and and that kind of stuff. But a lot of them are oriented towards the city, but they're making choices about like I want to own more land or I want to have mm-hmm. a more of a feeling of independence or I want mm-hmm. to, you know, be able to get out into the country. So it's it's a it does tend to sort people. So
0: it's again this very sort of historical white american feeling of land claims and independence i mean this is all tied together i guess right even even the confederate flag is tied into that absolutely
1: yes you are seeing things clearly this is one thing that really matters to me like i i see this as one of our tragic flaws um and it's not that i don't i dislike the suburbs but we made an intentional set of decisions with our policy so we we put a lot of Uh, federal financial support into people owning and purchasing housing Uh, so Mm. we subsidize mortgages we give a lot of tax benefits to people who own land and so if we were to pull that away I think a lot of the suburban people would have to move into the city the Mm. the sort of density uh, the supports that are offered Mm. make suburban areas Mm. you know livable And I think if we were to change a lot of our policies, you would get people sort of having to choose.
0: And they mostly move into the city given how a lot of stuff functions. But if that would happen, then the divide would even be greater, right? I mean, then yeah. Wyoming would even have less people uh, <laughs> comparatively well, to the metropolitan. I mean, Wyoming might might, might uh, remain stable, but then, you know, Bay, Bay Area and other, or New York or that's right. whatever, will still grow and grow and grow.
1: Yeah, it would have major implications for places like LA or something like that. And, and the reason I call it like problematic or like one of our original sins is, it, what it means is we consume so much more. So there's the house themselves, housing themselves, but all of our transport, all of our cars, all of our maintenance of the roads and the rebuilding of infrastructure over and over again to support these, like, oh, it just mm-hmm. kills me. It, makes, it breaks my heart. It, like we sort mm-hmm. of, we've tied ourselves to putting resources into the upkeep of bridges and roads and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. that we don't necessarily need to. We can move people into the cities. And so mm-hmm. I, you know,
0: I, I do really worry about that. It's just not sustainable into the future or move them or move more people into the countryside. I mean, this might become attractive as well.
1: Yeah, that that could. And I think what you would end up with are sort of denser it, under this idea of like the United States not obsessing about home ownership and land ownership, but like sort of having mm-hmm. a different model. I imagine that a rural environment might look more like places in Europe in the rural areas where you have a city core or not a city core, but a town core. Where a lot Mm -hmm. of people live and then it's like really is sort of green around Mm -hmm. some of our rural areas or a lot of our rural areas in the united states don't look like that you see a lot of dotted housing Mm -hmm. um uh, that's sort of like spread um because everybody owns the plot of land
0: yeah exactly the individual plots of lands are are quite big that's right right. that's right Mm -hmm. So it's okay. a, a parsing up or parceling out
1: of, of, the, of the land that I think is, mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting. And, like, there's been a lot of wealth creation through that. But I just don't know if that will continue in the future. And I worry mm-hmm. that we've lost sight of what actually makes people happy. I imagine there's a good ways to make people happy by getting them closer together so they can interact. Mm-hmm. So they can, like, build, you know, like, cool things in restaurants. And, like, I, you know, maybe I'm oversimplifying here. But I think some of our isolation in the United States is because we have pushed people out to the peripheral because that's where you can own things and you're separating your um you're living on in your own and i think that what that leads to is some of i i believe this narrative i'm not sure if anybody's proven it but like when we when you look at the cities we interact with people we're forced to because we move around and and so we see people who are not like us and we see people who are you know from different Mm -hmm. backgrounds and we just become more used to it and By Mm -hmm. flinging people to the outskirts of cities, into the suburbs, or further out into the you know the rural areas, you just don't have as much experience. I know that was my personal journey. Is like, you know, Mm -hmm. I knew you know a couple hundred people when I grew up, and that was it. And I got a little nervous when I didn't you know when I was interacting with people who were not of that.
0: Yeah. Sure. Sure. And some of that might be just. You know sort of the, the the amount of stimulus that you get in, in you yes. know, for your senses right That's i mean right all right. the noise all the like different you know maybe instead of seeing 10 people on the on the street you see 500 people absolutely uh, i
1: remember the first couple
0: of times i like
1: uh like the first week i was here in san francisco um because i'd basically been in rural areas even my, my undergraduate institution was in mm-hmm. the middle of nowhere Um, very rural area, and when I got to the city, like I almost couldn't sleep. There was just too much noise. I kept waking up and being worried. And (laughs) (laughs) little country kid, poor
0: poor young Mike, nervous (laughs) system. (laughs) Little little country Mike. (laughs) And where you are right now? Um, is that would you characterize that more as like a suburban area? Yeah, where I am right now is a suburban area.
1: Um, so. Mm It it is what might what everybody would call like the Bay Area. Um, mm-hmm. I'm on what's known as the peninsula, so this is basically I'm at the sort of mm, probably the northern tip of Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. maybe. Okay. Um, and so yes, uh, there are these two major American cities. You know, about thirty minutes north of me is San Francisco. About thirty minutes south of me is San Jose. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm relatively close to uh, Stanford, so I could I'm within biking distance of mm-hmm. of Stanford where I teach. So.
0: Yeah, this is very much a suburban uh, community I'm in. So you're saying um, basically this cannot be reversed, this trend, or we should actually move more people into the cities. Let's just assume that for the moment that, and it's also very difficult to sort of reverse these kind of cultural trends and these kind of... Right. Um, yeah, cultural myths that have also been created around suburbia and, and I mean, even I've grown up with probably 90% of the movies I watched as a, as a teenager or a child were set in American suburbia. That's right. Right? Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And so if we assume that, um, and let's tie that back to the political problems or the, the binary uh, divide that we had in the, in the beginning. Um, so what do we what do we do with the Wyoming's? We, we just take some senators away from them? Or? <sighs> yeah. I, I'm, um, whew,
1: okay. So I did, that was not the direction I thought you were gonna take that question. <laughs> you you curved me out. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So I, so first off, I wanna acknowledge that, like me saying something about like pulling financial support, federal support for home ownership. That's terrifying. That's not. That would be a major like wealth for a number of people would be just stripped away. Right, so it's a you. Know, I'm not saying that we would do this uh, right away or overnight, but I do worry. I do really worry that like we are making Americans feel worse about themselves, health, less healthy, and those kinds of things by these unintended policies that were built around growth and and from you know, 200 years ago and then reinforced like 100 years ago. Like, it just, you know, so I worry that we haven't been very serious in thinking about what makes America awesome and will mm-hmm. make it continue to be cool into the future. And we're still, we're stuck with some very big burdens um, left over from other parts of our time. So I just, but I also want to say like, I understand that like what I'm saying is a little crazy and like to slam mm. it into place would be horrific. It would be
0: awful to to make
1: those policy changes.
0: So But I guess I mean a first step might be to just sort of modernize the voting system, right? I mean yeah. because that this Tuesday it's a problem for a lot of people. Yes. I mean it might have been for the best of people I think it was created in the in the nineteenth century, this this voting day on on a Tuesday. Uh, and also tuesday early november uh, <laughs> right. so this is actually not from the from the late 18th century but but uh, some decades later
1: i think um, sorry i just wanted like there's there's one other little hiccup there where it's like it's it's like the first tuesday after the first monday and that's because like there's this weird quirk for a holiday that used to be important to us but is like lost to um. memory now because <laughs> it, was, it was like yeah so they always they, it couldn't be like the first they didn't want it to be like the first it was so whatever it was the day after the first day of like November but it's like lost to history so there's a bunch of weird things that are just left over um it's not easy you know like so just to point this out and sprinkle a little hate on you because it's not like we had a chance to restructure our government the way some countries did (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> because they messed up big time yeah we're bailed out by certain other nations <laughs> yeah, we don't, you had other nations to help you rethink about what you might want to be into the future <laughs> yeah that's that's true I mean that's true and it's yeah. it's one of the oldest democracies yeah right I mean that's a source of pride but also I mean creates some problems because we get some legacy stuff yeah yeah and because you are so proud about uh, your constitution uh, there's I think a big uh, hesitancy to yeah to change it or to uh, yeah absolutely no amended I, yeah that's right that's right.
1: um, and you know things like you know one of the things that you pointed out twice and I want to engage is like the voting day or like those kinds mm-hmm. of like voting issues. there is a real incentive to not change those because um it does make it harder for certain kinds of people to vote if you are mm-hmm. a working person, you don't have a lot of resources, maybe mm-hmm. you're providing care for your kids and your, you know, uh, your parents and like to get to vote is a really hard thing if you have to, like, take time off from work. Um, Mm -hmm. So it would make sense that we made it a national holiday or we paid people to go and vote and stuff like that. That's Mm -hmm. not going to happen because, Mm -hmm. uh, I I mean, it should happen. I I want to be very clear, it should happen, but it won't happen because one of the political parties, the Republicans would find it really to their disadvantage to get a wider swath of the voting population engaged. Right now they are a minority party; they are, you know, approved by a minority of the United States. And to, you know, get larger, um, closer to sort of democratic idea or, you know democratic ideals of like sort of one person, one vote would not advantage them. So there's some real uh, structural power issues that preclude us making common sense, very useful changes to how we vote. Um, mm-hmm. Could reach a crisis point. I mean, I'll be honest with you; like, there's some real issues going on where in the not too distant future people are going are getting disenfranchised and it may not be sustainable and I, and I mm-hmm. think if I was a republican I would be very concerned because the slow moving tactics they have been using sort of making sure that people they don't like can't easily access the vote that only holds for so long like you're holding mm-hmm. back a dam and it could be a very bad For them
0: in the not too distant future, because in essence, it's undemocratic. It's very undemocratic. I mean, both in a literal and that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Second, second sense. Big D, small D. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, And and uh, and you know, let me also say this explicitly: is like you have pointed to we are not democratic, right? Like so, we you know, the Senate itself was designed to have equal power on the state level. Mm. Our House of Representatives was designed to have something more proportional to the size or the,
0: the population.
1: Mm-hmm. And so the Senate... And it changes. Is, it, changes. And it changes. The, the ratio right. we, in the House Allocate. of Representatives. That's like right.
0: California, every census gains a few seats. And That's right.
1: I should know this number, but like, you know, let's say that like, I, I forget, we have something like 60 House of Representative people, but we mm. have two senators. If you look mm. at Wyoming, they have two senators and I think two representatives. So. Mm. You know, we have a lot of power because we're larger um, in California, but not in the Senate. And we have to sort of pass things through the Senate. So that is becoming a real big source of tension. And but there are real discussions like uh, like I mentioned, you know, I was doing some calculations the other day and I've seen other people talking about, well, what happens if certain parts of the country start purchasing land and moving to Wyoming? Like there's mm. a number there's a large number of us we have good resources you know mm. uh what would that mean and there's a real concern I've, I've seen this on the republican side watching uh californians move into texas um mm. the sort of compositional shift is is there and people are sort of concerned about um, those kinds of changes so um refocusing on the urban rural mm. um I don't know how it's going to play out into the future, mm. um, but there was a major, I mean, if you look at the maps, like, it is very obvious that within, within states, even, uh, the more dense areas have a very different view of what the future looks like and how we should govern ourselves versus the rural mm. areas. Um, and it's not, yeah, it's not
0: totally clear how we reconcile those. Well, maybe you guys just need another <coughs> utopian thinker like William Penn.
1: That's right.
0: Yeah. Build some new who, cities. Who believes in in a new commonwealth and yeah has a <laughs> has a city map plan for uh, some areas in Wyoming, Vermont, or uh, other places. Yeah, uh, in store yeah. and. Um, yeah, I guess we're going to come back to this topic some other time as well. Um, it's going to accompany us. Um, yeah. of course. I mean, also you really can't shifts. get away from it.
1: It is a very core part of the American... Yeah.
0: And it's an exis- existential yeah. shift, shift that's taking place, demographically and politically. It is. Alright, that's it for today. Um, please do subscribe to us on Apple, iTunes, and Spotify and all the places you listen to us. Uh, leave a favorable rating. Thanks, Mike.
1: Yeah, and thank you folks for stopping by. We love to, you know, share
0: this with you. See you soon, man.
1: Take care. See you, man. Bye.